0: Jamie Petty, it is so wonderful to have you on Hemp Barons today. Welcome to the show. Joy, thank
1: you so much. It's always a pleasure to to get to see you and chat with you.
0: (laughs) And we just got to see each other in the flesh at NOCO Hemp Expo at the end of March. And that was just such a treat after going so, so many months uh, without gathering, be able to see really anybody in our hemp tribe, particularly one another. You are such a strong hemp sister and your leadership nationally and even bleeds internationally is basically phenomenal. Um, Please tell us how on earth did you come to hemp? How did how did we get
1: so lucky to attract the attention of Jamie Petty? Well, thank you so much. Um, it you know it timing right. Everything is a timing and and a purpose a purpose for which I feel really honored to have fallen into. And it started with my now stepson Justin Petty, and as you know, his squad at Recreator. And it was previous to them actually launching Recreator but they all were based here in Indianapolis. And I called them the city boys. They lived in town. They lived in Indianapolis. And on the weekends, they would come out to our farm and we would share bonfires and beverages and just nice entertainment and talks. And they taught me about the industry and all of the benefits. But what was interesting, Joy, is that I truly just assumed that we were growing hemp. You know, I had been living in San Diego, in Coronado for 20 some years, way far away from agriculture. I remember jumping out of an airplane and my parachute cord and the parastraps were hemp. I had no idea we weren't growing it. And so the guys were really um, good about bringing that around. And it was a time in my life, as you can kind of relate to, I'd been doing um, litigation, paralegal litigation work for 20 some years in San Diego. Now here I'm on a little farm in the middle of nowhere. So the timing was right to to give me a passion and to give me something that would get me back out there and interacting with people. Um, and it all just came together. And here we are. <laughs> um, I mean. Here
0: we are with you having co-founded the Midwest Hemp Council, a powerful, strong, and highly organized nonprofit organization to advance the interests of of the farmers and the hemp industry in the Midwest region of the country. This is tremendous, and as you know, that is one of the many things that we have in common is that we both raised our children on paralegal work. And complex civil litigation and compliance, and and basically working at law firms, and all of those skills uh, that we learned—the organizational skills, information management—so so many important and crucial to the emerging and developing hemp industry. Skills that we learned there, uh, we've put into action in how we serve um, our clients uh, and and the nonprofits that we serve, and it is quite obvious because I go on your website. And it is one of the more organized um, and informational websites of of even national trade associations out there. So it's really just uh, so phenomenal. Um, Now, first of all, tell us the region that the Midwest Hemp Council covers or seeks to cover. And when did you decide and who were your co-founders to move forward with this vision and this tremendous need
1: that you're filling? Um, So kind of to go back Joy, as you know, you and I met um, very, I mean, you were one of the first people I met early on along with Colleen and Josh as the HIA launched chapters. Uh, we all were very well intended and, but like the industry, giving birth to anything is very difficult. And it was, it was a struggle. And I think that we all did an amazing job. We learned from one another and we can now carry those things forward. But in that process, the first problem that was, it was a problem. And the problem was that Indiana was and is still very slow to move. And so I had to focus most of my efforts here. But in doing so, both Alan Kimball and Justin Swanson, who were I was working very closely with, we realized that to lift Indiana up We were going to have to collaborate. Um, My word that all the team knows is coopetition. And I have believed that in this industry from day one, because you can't really compete until we have a full-fledged industry.
0: And that's going to be quite a while. So there's lots of room for everybody. I use the word coopetition all the time, but I use it. Now I'll have to say, Ooh, I always say, thank you, Bob Hoban. Now I'll be like, thank you, Bob Hoban and Jamie Petty. <laughs> That's who I learned the word from, but please continue.
1: Right. Well, and, and for me, it came from the racing world, the Indy 500. I, that was the first time I heard it was down at the racetrack. I heard the race wow. car drivers using that. So, wow. um, but at any rate, Uh, And we realized that that is what needed to happen, whether Indiana was going to succeed or not, that it needed to be a collaborative effort. We by no means feel that we have all of the answers for every state, but our goal initially was to try and level that playing field, open the doors, hold hands, so that at least within our region... As of course, we're all in the, you know we all know it's still uneven. There's still many things, but we've we're making progress. so and so, to answer your question, what what came about was we're now in twenty two states. Prior to Covid, we had over three hundred members, like everyone else, that has dropped. And I think a lot of that was because a, the industry, of course, um, suffered some overproduction and some setbacks. And a lot of that due to the failure of FDA and others to step up and help guide, you know, walk with us and guide us. Um, but also COVID. I mean, I, you know, I'd be remiss. We can't blame everything in the world on COVID, but it did have a significant impact, primarily, as you referenced, not being able to see each other there is value to being in that personal space with someone and sharing that quality. And we weren't able to network. We weren't able to go out and do things together. So um, our, our membership took a pretty significant hit, but I'm very excited because it's coming back quickly. And now that we can have events and be there together, because that's what it has been for us, is how can we bring the industry together, collaborate, support one another, and realize that this isn't you know, it is competition. It's not about competing and let's give, you know, let's work together to even out that playing field and to build the supply chain. Um, you, you mentioned earlier when we, f- up until a couple years ago, as it was research, we were very focused on our farmers. Joy, we had um, research cooperatives with Purdue and we know our farmers can grow this. We know we have genetic issues. And we still have a lot to learn, but we know they can grow that. So the problem is chicken and the egg. So Midwest Hemp Council, while we're still very focused on our farmers, we're doing some very significant work on supply chain development right now. So I'm excited about that. Yes, indeed,
0: and I want to make sure too that our our listeners know that the dues are very reasonable, particularly for an organization taking on so much work and having such a huge impact. And I cannot wait to dive right into that work. Um, but wanted folks to know that to join the policy circle, there are two levels of membership at the Midwest Hemp Council. It looks like you'll correct me if I get ahead of my skis here, Miss Petty. The policy circle, which is three hundred dollars annually, and that of course on top of of obvious uh, logo and these types of benefits displayed on the website. There's direct involvement in the development of strategy, participation in the Midwest Hemp Council monthly policy circle call, very valuable, eligibility to sit on the board of directors for the Midwest Hemp Council and on Midwest Hemp Council committees as well. And that's $300 a year for the policy circle. That's top tier membership. The other membership Hemp supporter membership is $100 a year. And uh, the policy circle comes with all of those benefits and eligibility that I discussed previously, Um, but as as well as all of the benefits that come with this Hemp supporter $100 annual membership. And that, of course, is opportunity to provide feedback on policy and regulatory drafts, opportunities to sit on the Midwest Hemp Council committees and to directly support the goals and efforts of that committee and the director. Uh, Membership discounts on education and networking events, updates, monthly newsletter, and annual business meeting. Your monthly newsletters are incredibly informative. Sister, as you might imagine, and and as I'm sure you share, I get several newsletters, oh my goodness, (laughs) on the newsletters ad nauseum. I'm all Midwest Hemp Council is one of those newsletters that I read all of the words and I go down and look at all of the links because you generally will have some even additional links and information at the very bottom. So if you don't go all the way to the bottom of a Midwest Hemp Council newsletter, you're going to miss some good stuff. Um, So just really, really uh, important work there uh, in in terms of just delivering information and engaging with your members. Um, Let's talk about some of the well, everything you're doing is exciting. I guess it's just that let's pick the ones that are so incredibly important. And if you don't mind, and this and, and this may not be one that you even consider to be your most important, I just think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and that is, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the Midwest Hemp database. You're just, so you're assisting building that database. Can you tell us about that? And then of course, please launch into um, uh, some of the other missions and goals that you're working on.
1: Okay. So Joy, thanks a lot. That's um, out of university of Illinois. That's where it's actually based, but what has come about over the last two years is great synergy between Purdue university, university of Illinois Michigan State, and Wisconsin, and their um, respective hemp extension specialists. Ours, of course, our amazing extension specialists, is Marguerite Bolt, um, James Decker, (laughs) I may be saying that wrong, out of Michigan State, and then Shelby Ellison out of Wisconsin. So they work with Phil to develop this database, but it requires... um, collaboration to bring farmers to the table so they understand the value of contributing those genetics and their test results and so forth to that database. And I will be honest, I was a little bit surprised at some of the hesitancy initially. So we've tried really hard to get the word out there, talk to our growers one-on-one and help them understand that by participating, not only do they receive a discount on their testing and so forth, but they get to be a part of, as we continue to build out this industry, because we can trace genetics. We can trace what these genetics do in certain situations. So yes, we, and, and I'll tell you, Joy, that's really what you'll find because we are a nonprofit and we are in the hemp industry. Our resources are slim. So perhaps we can't always lead initiatives, but we believe in supporting and collaborating with those. Um, You know, even with our national associations, regional, state, it's really my goal and our team's goal to bridge that and to keep working together and building out together.
0: it's total synergy i mean absolutely it's everybody's job this this one foot in front of the other that you that you spoke of earlier or this in tandem or, or actually you i'm the one who uses that phrase you use the chicken before the egg type of phrase. So here we are asking farmers to grow a crop for which there's very little infrastructure. We're asking entrepreneurs to invest in infrastructure for which there is very little crop if we take the CBD and extract out of it, which I'm usually very happy to do. And we all need to work together. And again, with the collaboration, so very important, all of the different industries. I mean, one of my favorite associations, besides, of course, the US Hemp Roundtable, which for me, and as you know, because of my legal background, and, and that's what I do for a living, my Career, of course, is is expert witness and legal consulting and regulatory work. So the USM Roundtable is my is my sweet spot um, because we have a whole team of lawyers. We are a well-funded organization, so things can get done, and busy and crazy as I am, um, I need to work with sort of uh, organizations that have that kind of funding and function to sort of address and support my really aggressive and, and fast-moving agenda. U.S. Hemp Building Association, which I know is a love of yours as well, just so thrilled to support their work, and, um, and of course, of all the 25,000 or whatever hemp products we have, you know that. Hemp Creed is my absolute favorite one of them all. Um, and Midwest Hemp Council is an advocacy partner of the US Hemp Roundtable. Our advocacy partners are are in so many ways the lifeblood of the organization. These are the folks who are in there with the trenches, in the trenches with us, and it's only through that coalition building, not just among our members and the for-profit corporations and companies and entrepreneurs, but it's the coalition building among those doing the work, among the nonprofits, that is so valuable. And it was just such a thrill uh, to see Midwest Hemp Council's acceptance to that invitation. Jamie, thank you for joining the USM Brown table.
1: We wouldn't have it any other way. It is absolutely crucial to what has happened with this industry. And again as a non as a not-for-profit, oftentimes we are not in a position to lead, but we are in a position to walk with our partners and to give back how we can. And we love that opportunity. We try our best to give what we can. Um, I think what the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, the U.S. Hemp Authority, the leadership is just um, phenomenal, and as you said, the the different for-profits, the different industries represented, and allowing us to just come along and and support that and work on a more grassroots level, I guess, if you would. Amen to that. And boy, do we get some great work
0: done together. Let me tell you, it is just, and, and I'm so deeply involved in the work and know what's going on in, in the background. And uh, it's just tremendous to watch. Jonathan Miller and, and all of the leaders in the different committees and our legal team, of course, Renda Almondiri of Amin Talati Wasserman is just such a valuable MVP quarterback with Jonathan. Um, and to just see the kind of dragon slaying that goes on, whether it's on a state level or at the federal level and these new items that and issues that just pop up uh, as science is, is developing, it's just amazing to see. Now, let's get right back into the incredible work that the Midwest Hemp Council is doing. Tell us some more about the projects that you're working on that are so important to you and to the organization and to the Midwest region.
1: So honestly, right now, it's it's getting back into a routine. Um, I was so fortunate to go to NOCO and to see all of you, and Morris just knocked it out of the park. For those who had concerns about COVID or so forth, he was just so aware, so prepared and it was just very energizing. I've been fortunate enough to travel some this year to move things forward for our members and for us, um, Iowa Ag Expo, uh, Missouri Ag, um, and to several of our clients like IND Hemp in Montana. For me, it was a way to stay out there and stay at, in touch as best I possibly could. You know, what we're really working on now is quite simply joy, getting back into personal connection. And again, working on the supply chain of a couple things I'll share too, that have been just Justin Swanson is, (laughs) I can't say enough about what he's done. Uh, Yes, focused on Indiana, but then he reaches out and supports other States. Um, A lot of us may or may not look at issues the same but Justin is convinced that we must have a whole hemp plant economy and we have tried to do that because our farmers need that right now they've gone down this path and as you know craft hemp flour here in Indiana was a major battle unfortunately they pulled that rug out from our under our growers right in the middle of the season so Justin went right to it and took that on i can share my experience with Craft hemp flour that sort of left a negative taste in my mouth, but when it came down to it, Midwest Hemp Councils about our farmers were about our members, and therefore, if that's what our members needed to make money, then that's what we were going to do. And now we're still going. We just we did not succeed in, leg- in uh, legislation this session, and the lawsuit is still pending. Quite honestly, we looking we're going to need funds. Our plaintiffs. Uh, the name plaintiffs and others are going to need some funding if they're going to pursue it. But it's crazy because right now, you know, as long as the Indiana farmer doesn't grow it or transport it, you know, you can drive right through our state with it. It's it's OK that we can't grow it here.
0: And let me and let me just ask you, sister, because what happens is you and I are so in the trenches that we think we assume that our listeners know what the heck we're talking about. Most of the listeners right now, unless they're from Indiana or they're members of the Midwest Hemp Council, uh, don't know the what is it? What's the complaint that plaintiffs have? Can grow it for. Smokable, pur- you cannot grow it for or sell it for smokable purposes. Explain, if you would, to the listeners what the crooks of the of
1: the lawsuit is or the complaint is. So yes, so it's actually to be able to market the flower, simply market the flower, and it's not even just, um, you know, people are arguably not allowed to use it for the teas, which some are selling it as such, and it's being utilized. But the flower cannot be marketed. It can't be grown in this state. Um, And so we filed a lawsuit. We won our initial injunction. And thus we were allowed to continue for one more year. And then it was overturned on appeal in a just purely procedural. It was not a legal matter, it was purely procedural. Mm
0: -hmm. And you of
1: all people know how frustrating that especially is. Oh, much. And it also was somewhat a back step the judge took a back step even um because she was very much headed our direction um so here we are and again justin went right after it during the legislative session and tried and we came pretty close but no no cigar if you will so we're going to determine where to go next and we realize this is happening in other states and the, the main defense, or excuse me, the, the main argument against our position was that law enforcement could not tell the difference, of course. Yes. Over and, and over. We're hearing it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But, but ironically, we had testimony from several Purdue engineers. We have the testing available and they can do it right there. But of course- you know, the argument was, well, it's not been on the market long enough and it's not proven. And Indiana is a very conservative state. So here's where we are. I just tend to try to believe that things happen for a reason. And I'm very disappointed in this ruling and where we stand right now. But at the same time, with things that have happened in the industry, I believe that we all got to take a deep breath during 2020 and perhaps step back, and now let's move forward together.
0: Indeed, because I think we all know that most of your farmers would have grown extract varieties and would have lost their shirts.
1: That's exactly right. And so, again, we walk a fine line. I, you know, I'm often told, and I'm sure you can relate to this, I'm often told, I thought you were a hemp advocate. Why are you telling me not to grow? Mm. And I don't tell anyone not to grow, but suggest that they not grow. Because there is, there, there's a learning curve there and we need to develop our market. You know, cannabinoid market is much more developed, but we... we uh, Joy, let me tell you, let me back up. When I first went to Purdue in 2014 and I met with Ron Turco, one of the first things he said to me, he said, I am appreciative that you're here for this issue and our farmers need diversification and our soil needs help. However, Jamie please don't ever underestimate the farmer's ability to overproduce. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's not, it's nothing against them because they're just trying to make a living and put food on the table. And they are trying to find diversification, but we have to be careful. So I've always tried temper my energy and my excitement for hemp with reality when it comes to the growers and and producers. And the
0: producers. Amen. It is th- the most important thing to do is to not over promise and under deliver on this crop. It is to be fair and straight with the most innocent and fair straight population uh, we, we may very well have in this country and others. And that's the farmer population. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I often say by the way that you know 2021 is the year of the variety trial people it's the year of the variety trial so it isn't just hard lessons and as you say and m- 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 market stabilization market stabilization meaning okay guys come to f- come to find out it takes a little bit of hemp to make a whole lot of extract or a whole lot of cbd if, if that's the way you know folks are, are thinking about what hemp extract is um, so for the love of God, please do not continue to grow it. When uh, we have numbers, you may have read uh, that op-ed of Julie Lerner a, a few months ago, which I just thought was so brilliant, and it was called Hope is Not a Strategy, So Stop Tolling. That's right. And it was fantastic, right? I keep every present presentation I'm, I'm doing, I I'm, I'm have like, there's a Julie Lerner slide right now. And, uh, and And Pan Exchange had done, you know, such an outstanding job crunching those numbers through publicly available documents to to estimate, oh my goodness, it looks like it takes 4,817 acres to create all of the extract that was produced last year. And that's why we have, of course, barrels of raw crude, which now is clearly going bad from the 2019 and 18 even growing season um, and all of that biomass. So it's just so important. And what we really need and want is for farmers to know what oil seed and fiber and dual and tri crop uh, varieties grow in their climate, in their soil, in their photo period, and variety trials don't require a ton of land. They require the experience of growing and and that knowledge. And we certainly wouldn't want farmers who do not have a market or nearby infrastructure in the oil seed and fiber um, variety a sector, to grow acres and acres of it. We want you to succeed. We want our farmers to succeed. The infrastructure needs to be there to process, whether it's that nutrient-dense grain, whether it's that longest, strongest fiber in the world. The infrastructure needs to be there. The market needs to be there. To me, I see 2021 as the year of the variety trial. And, if you, and, and everyone else, stand down, stand down. <laughs> I, I don't mean to be a dream killer at all, but, um, but we just, we got a lot in backstock, folks and, and things need to stabilize and FDA. We need FDA to create that regulatory framework for hemp extract and, and just remove this uncertainty and this dark shadow of, of gray area and, and lack of confidence by investors
1: and, and the market. We need to move that forward. I, I agree, Joy. I think, uh, you know, here in Indiana, I can tell you specifically and well, Indiana, Michigan, Illinois, I can tell you that we are doing fiber and grain varietals that, to my knowledge, no one else is growing except for varietal purposes. So I'm very excited about that because that tells me that that we have people's attention in the right way. They're listening. They understand that this is an opportunity that's developing. But again, it's it's you know, I every day uh, I'll tell you the other the other thing we're doing. We're working very hard to develop a supply chain. There are some things, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to share right now, but I'm hoping that in about a month to two months, we're going to have some really good news that will show that we are going to normalize shelf space. Uh, It is mostly cannabinoid, but there are grain products. And we're hoping that this will be a really um, first collaborative effort to educate and get products on shelf space, and that that will only continue. Part of my problem within the state of Indiana, and we're talking about it in neighboring states, is, for example, infrastructure. You mentioned this earlier. And again, it's my my chicken and the egg problem is that you know I have a potential for infrastructure, but they don't want to build it unless they know they have contracts. Well, we can't have contracts for something we're not producing. So we're hoping that by having this larger net and this larger ring of trust and transparency and traceability, that we can develop those. But it takes all of us. And and again, like you mentioned, we are so happy to be teaming with US Hemp Roundtable And also, um, all of the other organizations, we have so many affiliates. And yes, I share with you the U.S. Hemp Building, you know, the building association, that building materials are where I want to see us grow. I really want to see that take hold. I love what Greg Wilson is doing with Hempwood. We have a project coming on in Indiana, in Columbus, Indiana. I hope to have more information for you in a couple months, but we believe we're going to be working on affordable housing using hemp materials. So for us, you know, I feel like we don't have one big thing right now, Joy, but we have a lot of initiatives that we're supporting and that we're trying to drive. You are a lightning rod, a total catalyst.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) In so many directions.
1: It, It takes all of us. And I'm really happy to see I feel that I see the industry coming together strongly again. Um, You know, we had birthing pains and but I growing pains, but I really believe we're coming together. And I'm excited about that because I don't think there's any other way that this industry is going to flourish without all of us collaborating.
0: Uh, the plant is not going to have it any other way. Um, and I'm certainly <laughs> not going to have it any other way. So, and most of the incredible leaders and doers um, and brilliant souls that have been stewarding and pioneering and joining this movement are not going to have it any other way. And I, I certainly know you aren't. So, and uh and before we get on to the major thing, and I'm just I'm gonna steal your thunder to remind you of it, and I'm so excited to do it because I'm so happy that you're doing it. but I, I also wanted to just mention that indeed, when we talk about fiber and grain and particularly fiber, because for the listeners who haven't heard me say it a thousand times on hemp barons, we are talking about human and animal nutrition body care, nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, paper, textiles, building materials, biocomposites, bioplastics, energy, fuel, Battery storage, charcoal pellets, nanotechnology, biomedical applications. Somebody stop me! It's everything. <laughs> I love hearing it. <laughs> Gosh! And so we're really talking about the the fiber in particular being the economic stability for the farmer. And we're talking about those fiber industries. That's where the trillion dollar industries are. Guys are in fiber and oilseed, and it's where the environmental impact, the plant healing aspects of this plant particularly as we walk in tandem with the regenerative agriculture and uh, regenerative agronomic practices movement as we deliver the hemp movement together that's where we're going to find the environmental stability it's in the oil seed and the fiber and now i get to steal your thunder hemp at the crossroads sister tell us about hemp at the crossroads <laughs>
1: Well, thank you. We are really glad to have that coming back this year and we hope you're going to be able to stop in and join us. Um, It is the first week in December, the first, second, and third. And the good thing, if there's a good thing that we did not host in 2020, is that we are now extending the um, conference by about three quarters of a day. And so we can add a lot more uh, information. We have really in the past tried to focus on Seed to shelf, uh, starting with our growers. We like to focus on agronomy just as much as we like to focus on supply chain, and that's what we're going to do. And provide as much information as we can in that time period. You know, we I know we're going to be having Shelby and James and Marguerite and Philip. You know, our quad our quad effort there. They'll be there with the Midwest Hemp Database. We've got a diversity panel this year that I'm very excited about. So you know, stay tuned. That. Registration is actually open for Early Bird, and we really encourage everyone to check us out and consider coming to the Crossroads of America and hanging out with us for a couple days. Um, we we will still be filling in the agenda and look forward to adding more more folks like yourself to come and speak with us. And that's
0: in Plainfield, Indiana, December one through three. And this is another situation where we've got the Midwest Hemp Council delivering affordable, value-packed, value-added information. So a member price, early bird right now. And this is registering by September, but get that money in, folks, because if you want to support the hemp movement, understand that if you pay now and you have the funds to pay it now, that gives Midwest Hemp Council and other nonprofits, of course, the ability to move forward in their vision. So early bird registration uh, for members, $150 for this basically two and three quarter day in-person event. Mm Non-members, only $250. I mean, this is phenomenal stuff. Then regular registration, if you want to wait till the last minute, no fun for anybody to wait (laughs) till the last minute. But if you got it, and certainly in COVID, we understand $200 for members and $300 for non-members. So we're talking about two and a half full days of expert value-added info-packed information along with the networking opportunities and whatever social events you're doing for a major affordable price. And something tells me that the hotels in the Plainfield area are probably not terribly expensive, are
1: they? They are not at all, but we are surrounded by a couple of really nice breweries and uh, believe it or not, no one's going to believe me, but I spent 25 years in California. So I'm here to tell you a very, an excellent sushi place right across the street. It's so, it's wonderful. So, but a nice selection of restaurants. It's very convenient to the airport. Shuttles run back and forth um, and it's a brand new facility. So we're really excited to work with them and, and gather together and and work towards this. And we are grateful to all of our speakers and sponsors because it's their generosity and their time that allows us to do this and offer this program at such an affordable price.
0: Just fantastic. I cannot wait to get there. And also for folks planning travel, um, in case you didn't notice, there is a shortage of rental cars. So rental cars are through the roof right now. In fact, I was planning a trip for Southern Hemp Expo, which of course is a few months prior, uh, actually three months exactly prior to Hemp at the Crossroads. And I looked a few weeks ago and rental cars, I could get them for around $27 a day. Last night, I thought, oh, I better get on that $80 a day on hotwire.com. So if you're planning on getting a hemp at the crossroads, get all those reservations done. Cannot wait uh to see you there. Miss Jamie, you know we're gonna have you back. Um I just I love following the work that you do. You're such an inspiration. It's so wonderful to have you as my as a mirror, as a reflection, uh as, as a strong woman who is has such strong convictions um in really stewarding the responsible stewardship of this incredible, versatile, valuable crop. Jamie, thank you for absolutely everything that you do
1: and for being with us on the show today. Joy. Thank you. I, you know, I often tell people and and I mean this with my heart, I am not the expert. I'm the advocate. And I feel that I know how to make the connections because I know experts like yourself and so many others That are out leading with the facts and leading with specificity so that to me brings me joy because i can send people in the right direction and bring us all together and again i i look back at the time that has passed and it's amazing to me it feels like a year and yet it has been six seven years since we met and you know it's easy to get frustrated anyone listening, it is easy to get frustrated in this industry, but this is what it's about. Get FaceTime with your people and share that opportunity because we're going to succeed. It is just going to take time and work. Chopping that wood,
0: carrying that water. And it is an honor and a pleasure to be doing that with you, Miss Jamie. Thank you again. Stay healthy. And I cannot wait to see you in the flesh again. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. Bye, sweetheart.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
0: Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.